It's 2021 and the Taliban is taking over Afghanistan. There is panic and fear everywhere. The Taliban, forced from power by Western troops two decades ago, are back. Every day, thousands of Afghans head to Kabul airport, desperate to escape. Most arrive here already exhausted, because to get here, they had to navigate through Taliban fighters who control the airport perimeter and whose idea of crowd control is using guns and whips. Among them is 16-year-old Arezo Nazari. She ends up in New Zealand, and she's not the only one. Among the hundreds of Afghan evacuees who arrived in New Zealand in the aftermath of the 2021 Taliban takeover, One News can reveal 20 were children without their parents. Two years on, their parents are still not with them. So what is stopping that reunion? Let's not blame the young people who have had the the guts to get here and live here. Let's not punish them any more than we already have. And let's let them bring their parents and siblings in. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, the remarkable story of teenager Areso Nazari and why she and other Afghan children are still separated from their parents. Let's hear more of Areso's story uncovered by Corazon Miller on One News. Because no one imagined the Taliban offensive would move as quickly as it did, Arezzo's parents and brother were away at a family wedding when the Afghan capital fell. I waited for four days, but I was getting really nervous. And I grew up with Taliban being actually murders. With that on her mind, she decided to run. She hid among other families to get past Taliban checkpoints. At the airport, she spotted her uncle. He helped her on board the first New Zealand flight out of the city, but refused to care for her here. Have you had a case like Ariso before? I've had many cases oh, have you? over the last 30-odd years, but none of them quite like Ariso's. That's saying something for lawyer Claudia Elliott, who's worked for the UN in Somalia and Afghanistan. She knows very well what it was like in Kabul when the Taliban took over in 2021, and Arezzo, like thousands, fled for her life. What was going on with flights going out? It was total chaos. There were bomb threats, there were... All sorts of things going on. So I think the military or whoever it was from New Zealand made a very principled decision to let these young people through. And many of them would have just joined in with another family and just walked on with them. And they didn't have to have passports or visas or anything they well they were supposed to have visas but obviously that wasn't rigorously checked when did you get involved i was appointed by the family court to act as lawyer for child for a reso 
shortly after she arrived in New Zealand, so 2021. You're a family court lawyer, a family lawyer. She's a new immigrant. Why were you working with her? Because when Oranga Tamariki become responsible for children such as Ariso without parents, they apply to the family court to have some status and there's a lawyer appointed for the young person, the child. What makes her special? Because she is from another country, from another culture, and she doesn't have any of her whānau available to support and guide her. And she's a very capable young person, but she needs that guidance from her whānau. Two years on, her parents have found safe haven in Europe, but without them here, she finds it hard to enjoy the things she used to, as they remind her of the home and family she's lost. What I was looking was families and thinking how lucky and happy they are. The, the other side of the world, completely different culture, no family around her. She must have needed um, a huge amount of like wraparound support. She did. Um, she had an has an excellent caregiver. It is a foster situation, yes. What kind of things has she had to deal with that maybe we just take for granted? I mean, language for a start. Language and culture would be the main two, but I think of the numerous times that Ariso contacted me and told me about situations that she'd been in. She would go to a friend's place and she'd come home and cry because her friends had their parents with them and she didn't. She recently went to an open day at Auckland University and she said all of the other children, young people, had their families with them and I didn't. And she came home and cried about that too. Arizo's case is unique, but there are other Afghan children here without their closest family. Five came alone three of whom had no family links in New Zealand. A number were later found to have simply been separated in the chaos of the hasty evacuation. DNA testing helped reunite seven with parents who had arrived on other flights. Thirteen were made wards of the court, although the majority were living with extended family, older siblings, aunts, uncles or grandparents. We should point out that some of these children are still under the charge of Oranga Tamariki. A dozen Afghan children who arrived in New Zealand without their parents following the fall of Kabul will likely remain under state care, in some cases for years. While most are in the care of extended family without their parents, they've been put under court guardianship till they turn 18. In the meantime, it falls to Oranga Tamariki to help them stay connected with their mothers and fathers where possible. Why aren't her parents with her and her brother? Well, I wish someone could tell me why. And I think the answer is that immigration have been totally inept in this case. And the minister 
has followed immigration without casting an educated and kind eye over Ariso's case. As I said to some of them, how would your children feel if they were in a different country, different culture, different language, and you weren't there for years on end? Of course they'd be traumatised. And you could question with Oranga Tamariki if they would ever do that willingly to a Māori child to take them out of their culture, their language, their whānau and put them in an entirely different environment? The answer, of course, is no. They might have ten years ago, but they certainly shouldn't now. But from the time she was here, did she try or did you try to get her whānau here? Yes. The answer was because I was appointed by the family court, I was not able to actively pursue a political role because of the distance between the court and politics. But there was a a friend who was a retired family court judge who took over that role and drafted applications to the minister to exercise their discretion to give Ariso's parents a visa. My understanding is that she could bring them out, but she would have to support them financially. She would have to show that she could support them for two years. Yes. She's 18 years old. She's studying. She's got a part-time job. She's got a part-time job. She's in year 13 at Epsom Girls. She has just, I understand, been uh, accepted for law school, preliminary law next year. She cannot prove that she can support her family or provide them with accommodation, which is what's required. Is there any way around this at all? Yes, there is. The Associate Minister of Immigration has a discretion to grant visas in these circumstances. And my view is this is an excellent use of that discretion. And that discretion does not have to take into account all the other people who are from outside of New Zealand and might want to bring their family in. It has to consider the rights and needs of this child in these circumstances. And what could you possibly say that would not lead a right-thinking New Zealander to say, of course she needs her parents. But they're saying no. So far they have said no. There have been applications made to three different ministers of immigration um, and all of them have said 
no. No reasons given, and where there were reasons given, they were inaccurate and frankly, plainly wrong, such as that they worried that Ariso was a trafficked child. The mounds of paperwork we've obtained show officials have raised concerns over allowing the parents of these children to follow. They're fearful it could set a precedent that puts minors at risk of human trafficking and open the gates for dozens more refugees. I've worked in Afghanistan for five years and Somalia. This will be my third year. I know what trafficking of kids looks like. I worked with some of the Somali women and their children who were brought back into Somalia, and I saw what was happening. Ariso is not a trafficked child. I've read some of the information about her, and there seems to be a discrepancy in in her story and and what she, her account of what happened. I have sat through three interviews, one of over four hours with Ariso. I've been a litigator for close to forty years. I can tell when people are pulling the wall. And Ariso isn't. The information she gave, and I cross-examined her when I first met her about, for instance, how she got out of Afghanistan, because I knew from my connections there that she had to go through Taliban checkpoints. And she told me exactly what she did, and it worked. She stood in the midst of family groups of women and knew that the Taliban would never talk to women. She then got up to the military and they said, maybe not. She cried and they said, ah, we'll let you through and let the Kiwis make the decision. And same result, the Kiwis said, why not? So the Kiwis said, why not, let her in the country, but now they're telling her she can't bring her family in. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hearing some say, well, her parents are in Sweden, she could go there, but she can't. She doesn't speak Swedish. She does speak English, and she's been admitted into the first year of law. To go to Sweden would mean she'd have to spend two or three years minimum learning sufficient Swedish to be able to get an education. Whereas here, she spoke enough English when she came to New Zealand to get into school and to win a prize for English, Mm. not to mention maths and advanced physics. Not bad for a young person who English would be about her third language. The government, uh, immigration, they're afraid, what, that this might set a precedent? There's nothing that could set a precedent. Firstly, there are a very limited number of young people who came in unaccompanied. And if there are 
20 of them with two parents and a couple of children. We're still under our immigration numbers. So let's get on with it and have a heart and let these young people have a life which will mean they'll flourish. Greens MP Golras Garaman, a human rights lawyer, first heard about Areso and the other children when it hit the news. As the uh, months and now, you know, uh, a couple of years has gone by, it's become clear that, oh, actually, their parents are not going to be allowed to be reunified with them. And here they are in New Zealand and, you know, living quite separate lives. So that's where I think lawyers have realised the minister won't get involved and it, it actually took the media to bring this to light. Right, but Golras, does immigration have a point that this could open the floodgates, that this, you know, that New Zealand could be seen as an easy country to turn up in? Well, look, we we only have to compare this response with the response of of other nations. So this brings us close to Australia's line for decades, which is that we must build, you know, prison islands on Nauru and Manus. Um, they do separate families. They do leave people to to die pretty violent deaths on those islands. And then you compare that to the European Union response when. Ukraine was attacked, which is to say, okay, there's going to be a displacement crisis. People are going to be crossing borders in all sorts of irregular ways because there's a war. How can we coordinate uh, health checks? How can we coordinate transport? Um, What's our school system going to do? And they're dealing with millions. We're talking about a small number of children. I think at this point it's 12. And their mum and dad's being together. And so New Zealand, you know, we're far away. We don't actually have to deal with the kind of crises that nations with borders, land borders, have to deal with. So, you know, it, I think I think most of us expect our governments to try at least to do our fair share, and this is the bare minimum. I'm just reading the One News story in terms of what the authorities needed to do to make sure that these children were safe and settled. Uh, Oranga Tamariki was involved making sure that the child is safe because when we look at the makeup of those uh, 19 or 20 children now, I mean, one is between five and nine years old. The rest of them are still teenagers. Yeah, that's right. And it is incredible that different you know, institutions have come together and cared for them. I, I mean, I arrived here when I was nine as as a child asylum seeker, but luckily with my parents. But really, um, it's been immigration that's been that bar to that final step of prioritising the interests of the child, which is another obligation that New Zealand's actually signed up to, (laughs) that there's been one institution here that's weighed up its own interests against the rights and interests of their children and come down on the other side of that. But, but you know, so many others have taken care of them for these years. If the immigration minister agreed to allow their, them to be reunited here in New Zealand, what would happen? I mean, they would get the same kind of support as other refugee families? No, so they don't. So... Um, Refugees who come here, there's two ways. 
you either come on the UN quota, so you've crossed the border and, and in a place where there's a UN presence and you've been processed there, you get on the quota to some nation like New Zealand. The ones that we bring here on our quota, by the way, our quota is actually per capita far lower than Australia's even, so we're not doing a lot for refugees. Um, but when they come here, they go to the refugee resettlement centre, they get the six weeks of you know health checks and support and then um, uh, eased into the community with that support behind them. Asylum seekers who arrive here, including on the family reunification program, which is a program that exists, but it currently has up to about a four-year waiting list. Um, so they don't get any support at all. I mean, I, I do commend the, the the institutions that supported these kids, but they didn't have an actual obligation to. There isn't a program to support anyone who's not come here within the refugee quota, which is something that absolutely needs to change. Arezzo must, she must be just, be tempted just to give up and, and go to Sweden. I mean, she, I know she's in contact with her parents every night. It's, it's yes. just, I mean, she's 18 years old. Yes, but she's very focused. Her parents had her in school and that was unusual for a girl to be finishing high school. They really promoted her education. And Ariso has taken that on and said, I want to be a lawyer and I know I've got to work for that to happen and I'm going to. Do you have any other options? Does she have any other there options? There is no other option. The only option is for the Associate Minister to use her discretion. And for goodness sake, if you're, if you're the only minister in the whole of the ministers who has that discretion, it's there for a reason. Use it for a good cause. And Riso is an excellent cause. The Office of Associate Immigration Minister Rachel Brooking says it receives thousands of letters and requests relating to individual cases. While not commenting on the specifics of any case, it says for decisions to be considered for review by the Minister, the requestor needs to have exhausted all other avenues. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Thanks for joining us on what has been our 1,000th podcast since we started in 2019. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. This episode was engineered by Phil Bend and produced by Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Claudia Elliott and Golris Garaman. Mā te wā.